This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Praise Lord. Well, I want to thank Apostle Thea for the opportunity I have of teaching you this evening. I've got a lot to cover, but I know it's going to bless you. We're in this series entitled My Church. But before I get into it, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we could spend together in your word tonight. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in power and in might, removing doubt and confusion, causing faith to rise in every heart, dispelling every fear. As we continue the series on your church, Lord Jesus, the church that you died to birth, that you lived to intercede for today, I pray, Lord God, that it will become the focus of our attention in Jesus' name. And where folks have wandered off into religion, as opposed to remaining connected to the tree of life and in a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with you, I pray that they would be stirred tonight in Jesus' name, that the shackles of religion would be broken off, and that we indeed would be a church where people would look at us and say, these folks have been with Jesus. We can see it in the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they act. That is the kind of people we want to be tonight, and we thank you for the transforming power of your word. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Welcome to all of those of you watching online, and I pray that the message will bless you just as much. Okay, so here we have a foundational scripture in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. We're in this, we're in a series, this is a second installment entitled My Church. What is my church? What is a series about in the evenings? It's really all about what makes Christian Family Church International Christian Family Church. What has mattered to Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, since this church was birthed. And we're taking a trip down memory lane, and we're remembering and reminding ourselves, what sort of church do we want to be? What sort of Christians do we want to be? When people see us as members of Christian Family Church, what do we want to be remembered for? Last week, Pastor Jenny spoke about the fact that we are a worshiping church. Amen? This is something that we do. We are worshipers. Worship is not a slow song to us. Worship is a lifestyle, amen? And so tonight, I'm going to be focusing on my church, and the title is Living in the Tree of Life. But let's take a look at Matthew 16. These words of Jesus, he said, I will build my church. I love how personally he makes it. You know, when I meet a group of new people with my wife, I don't walk into that group and say, this is the wife. Because she'll go, that's not right. Lovingly, of course, you lay hands on me, but not in the way you think. I don't go and say, this is the wife. I say, this is my wife. Why? Say, it's Mayna. Mayna, she's mine. See what Jesus says over here? He says, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is how you know when people are not just attending a church, but they are actually part and members of a church. They'll drive along Atlas, and they'll say to their friends that aren't saved, hey, there's my church. They won't drive past and say, hey, there's the church, or there's a church. How many of you can say, this is my church? Jesus said, he said, I will build my church. It indicates possession. But doesn't it also just take, doesn't it also just take the pressure off? Jesus is going to build it, but we have the privilege of being part and co-laborers with Christ in order to build the church of Jesus. And the church is essential. Let me tell you, Jesus did not die for an online church. Jesus died for in-person services. There is a doctrine called the laying on of hands, not the looking of the eyes. We're going to get back to the laying on of the hands. Can I get an amen? Jesus died for in-person services, and I want to encourage you 
that you need to, if you're sitting at home watching, that's great. You need to get back into church. That's my encouragement. And you know why I say that? Because Ephesians 3, take a look at what it says in the Bible. It says his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, not through preaching. Preaching's good, but preaching can never replace the church of Jesus Christ. People coming together, serving one another, being accountable to one another, worshiping together. This is what the Bible says. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Let me tell you, if you are not part of the living church of God, there is a certain portion or wisdom of God that you will never have access to. And that, if you're not part of the church, should concern you. So as I mentioned earlier on, this series is all about what is it that defines us as a church. And the title of my message under this series is Living in the Tree of Life. Family, God has placed a choice in every believer's life that we may not be aware of as much as what we should. And unless we are, we could find ourselves being trapped in the wrong brand of Christianity. Now, there are two branches of Christianity, and I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to show you in the book of Genesis where these two branches are presented to us. There are two branches of of Christianity introduced to us in Genesis chapter 2. And this message poses the question to all of us, what brand or what branch of Christianity will we subscribe to? What will we choose? Of the two different approaches to God, one could say, which approach are we going to choose? Because you see, ultimately, these two brands of Christianity are simple. It's religion and it's relationship. And tonight, as I delineate what has taken place in Genesis chapter 2, you're going to quite easily see that it's not just the young Christians or people that don't know God that fall into the category of religion. We ourselves can become very religious without even knowing it. And so tonight, I want to dissect this teaching. We're going to take a look at it theologically, and we're going to to get right with God, where we've slipped into this whole religious thing, and we're going to come back into the tree of life. And I'm going to share an illustration with you, which some of you may have heard before, um, about how how this is relevant. Many years ago, my wife and I, every year, used to go to Bike Week down in Margate. We'd, drive with, we'd ride down with a whole bunch of, of unbelievers. These guys were such professional sinners, the devil would follow them around with a notebook because they'd come up with stuff he didn't even think of. That's how good they were. So I like throwing myself in a very worldly and a very secular environment. For me, the darker it gets, the brighter I shine. You really don't, any, you really don't know what you believe until you've been challenged in your beliefs. You don't know which, so I like throwing myself into this, into this situation. Pastor Greg, I think, joined us on the odd occasion. We'd go down to Bike Week, and, and, I'd, and we'd ride down with, with this rough crowd. I don't want to mention their names in case they're watching, but uh, I want to be constructive, not destructive. Praise the Lord. And so the one day, as you can imagine, they knew I was a pastor, so all eyes were on me all the time. And so the one day, it was a Friday night. I'll never forget, myself and my wife were walking past the, the mug and bean at, in Margate. And one of the guys was there with his wife. Now, you must understand that when one guy poses, one guy challenges a pastor, he's looking for backing. He gets a whole lot of backing, okay? So I'm walking on the pavement. He screams at me from the mug and bean. He's got a joint in his hand. 
For those of you who don't know what a joint is, it's cannabis, marijuana, dacha, wacky weed. Okay, so he's got a joint in his hand, and he says to me, he says, hey, pastor, where in the Bible does God say you can't smoke weed? Now you can see all of his mates stood up behind him like, hey, he's got this pastor, you know? And I looked at him, I said, hey, Greg. Oh, no, I mentioned his name. Okay. So, not that Greg. It's, it's not Pastor Greg. I'll just make it down. It's not, it's not. So anyway, gee, I said, I said, it doesn't say, it doesn't, nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't smoke weed. Oh, you should have seen the whole of, the whole of the mug and bean. Every sinner there. Oh, they thought, yes, that gives me sanction. And I was trusting the Holy Ghost. You see, every time I went away with him, I was always trusting God for, for his wisdom and his word. But I did say to him, I said, I said to him, I said to him, Greg, I said, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says that you are a slave to whatever has mastered you. You are a slave to whatever has mastered you. You see, now what he was simply asking me, he was asking, what is God's opinion on this? Whether it was smoking weed or whether it was drinking, because I promise you, these guys were like fishmen. They drank from the time they got there until the time they left. Their wives drove them home. Many of them went down on the bikes, and they towed their bikes back because <laughs> they were wiped out. So what he was really asking me is, what's God, what does God think about this? And my response simply to him in the spirit was, God's not thinking about that. God's thinking about you. Big difference. You see, what type of Christian are we going to be? And so, and so I, did, I said to him, I said, Greg, the Bible says whatever you, people are a slave of whatever has mastered them. And he grabbed his heart, you know, and, and he says, oh, Jack, Jack, how am I going to live without you, Jack? Referring to, not his wife, he's referring to Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. And he was saying it in jest. And I said to him, I said, Greg, that's your Lord. The Holy Ghost whacked this guy. I promise you, he went from holding all of his mates around him, quickly began to disappear <laughs> when I found out, you know. And, so, and all of a sudden, his tears started streaming down his cheeks. And he turned around and he walked away. The next morning, <laughs> Saturday morning at breakfast, the guy that was sharing a room with him or sharing a house with him was at Mug and Bean while we were having breakfast. And he said, he said, he said, Andre, let me tell you, Greg said he's not at such an incredible time at Bike Week. The only thing he's not enjoying is his alcohol. It's the only thing he's not enjoying. Hey, listen, the story gets better. You see, he had a skewed opinion, a skewed view of God. To him, God was all about the do, 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 do. To him, God was all about the duty. To him, God was all about the rules and regulations. To him, it was almost like when God was creating man or when he was writing the word of God that he drafted two columns. What's fun, that Christians aren't allowed to do. And what's not fun, that's what Christians have to do. That, that, that was his impression. That was his impression of God. That Sunday morning, I was preaching in Margate. Him and his whole family came to church, and every single one of them got born again. Every single one of them got born again. Amen. And so the point I'm trying to make is that he had a completely different approach to God. He was eating from the wrong tree. But be, before, I, before I get back into that, let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2. Now, this is the second story in Genesis where I'm going to kick off. The first big story in Genesis is creation. And really, the creation story is your story. Just like the second story is all about choice. So God created us, 
and then God gives us a choice. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. God wants us to live a good life. His intention really was from the beginning of the Garden of Eden, you can see that God created a good environment for Adam and Eve. Amen? And regardless of the fallen and the state of the world, God still wants us to live a good life. That's never changed. That's always been the will of God for us. Okay? It goes on to say, the trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, they were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, many assume that this choice was between God's tree and the devil's tree. Let me tell you, sin was not even around here. At this point, sin was not even an issue. I want you to notice over here that the knowledge, that, that, that it's the knowledge of even good and evil. See, the tree contained good in it. Now, that's very important as we take a look at these two views of God or these two brands of Christianity. Don't get your theology wrong here. Sin is not even an issue or in the story yet. Let's continue reading. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat, to ingest. Another word I suppose could be worldview. From whatever tree you decide to eat from, that will determine your worldview or that will determine how you relate to God. That will determine your view of God. These two trees represent these two brands of Christianity. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. If you fall into that brand of Christianity, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will end up hating Christians. You will end up hating church. You will end up hating God. Everything about God and the people that follow him will not, will not be your cup of tea. And so what happens now? Enter the devil. And this is the third story, the big story in Genesis. Number one was creation. We were created. Number two, God gives us a choice. And number three, the devil comes along and tries to lead us to make the wrong choice. It happens with every single person, not just Adam and Eve. Let's pick up in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really Say So the first thing the enemy is going to do in order to get you to make a wrong choice is always get you to question the word of God. Always. You must not eat. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. Now remember, God didn't say she can't touch it. He said you're not to eat from it. You see, the moment you begin to add to God's word or take away from God's word, all of a sudden, that's when you wander into error. Make sure you know what God has said and claim what God has said. And because of her ignorance of what God said, it positioned the devil to take full advantage of her and get her into a brand of belief in God that eventually led them down the wrong path. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, 
and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice the devil appeals to her desire for God. He doesn't try and pull her away from the Lord. Her willingness to obey God, her willingness to run after God, is exactly what the devil appeals to. We'll We'll take a look at that in a moment. So notice the enemy never appealed to his sin nature. He wasn't saying, come over here, come over here, be a bad girl, be a bad girl. He was saying, come on, be a good girl, be a good girl. You'll be like God. And the second brand of Christianity that I'm going to be speaking about tonight does exactly that, exactly what the devil did. But the consequences are catastrophic. So he was saying, come on, be a good girl, be a good girl. He's appealing to her desire for godliness and not her desire for sin. And this is why so many in their pursuit of God can actually still miss it. He was dangling something in front of her that looked like she could become more like God. And what ended up happening? She ended up falling away from the truth. We continue reading. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes. Notice good, pleasing, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now let me say, folks, you may never have read Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 with this lens on before or this context. Bear with me. I'm going to prove a very powerful point by the help of the Holy Spirit here tonight that I believe is going to set many, many people free. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. For the first time in history, they got involved in doing something to cover their shame. Up until that time, there was no shame. Nothing had happened. The first time in their pursuit for God, in in buying what the devil was selling, all of a sudden, they now wanted to go and get fig leaves and begin to stitch it together by works. They wanted to cover their nakedness. They wanted to fix their disobedience because they, I call it, the, I call it the, the, the loss of innocence. They lost their innocence, and that's exactly what religion produces. Slipping into religion will always produce a loss of innocence. It will produce shame, and it will produce works, a works-based religion in order to pursue God always does that. This is why Jesus cursed the fig tree. I'm sure Christ in him was reminded of the fact that Adam tried to cover his own sin, and back then God said, you will never be able to do it yourself. I will have to do it for you. That's why he went and slew an animal, and he made coverings for them. You will never be able to make up for the wrong you do. I'll say it again for those watching online. You will never be able to make up for the wrong you do. Even as a believer, when you miss God and disobey God, there is nothing you will ever do to be able to mitigate or eradicate that wrong. It's only the blood of Jesus that can do that and faith in Christ. Now you would think, you would think that that is obvious, but it's amazing how often we all slip into this trap and So that's why I want to teach on it today. So here are four delineations between these two trees or these two views of God that I would like to deal with tonight. And hopefully it'll help us discover 
what eating from these respective trees is going to produce in our lives. So the first tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you begin to partake and live off this tree, uh, it's all about do more to get to God. It's all about works. I've got to do more. And religion, doesn't religion always tell you this? And even those who are religious, they love to measure others by their works of religion. Have you noticed that? How many chapters did you read today? How long did you pray? Only 15 minutes? No, you need an hour. They're so proud in the fact that they spend time with the Lord that they tell everybody about how much time they spent with the Lord. Um, so how many chapters did you read? How did you pray? You see, religious people become even more religious by virtue of their good works. It's works-based religion. It's always about doing more and never about trusting more. It's like the two sons, you know? The prodigal that came home and the son that stayed. His view of his father was completely skewed, whereas his son, who was all about trusting more, could come back broken, busted, and disgusted, being received by his father. But the eldest son who was there, who was working for his dad, doing this, doing this, and wanted to deserve the fatted calf, didn't get anything. And when the guy who spent his life trusting in the goodness of his father reaped the benefit, the oldest son got all nar. He got upset. Sorry to use an Afrikaans word many of you don't understand, but he got upset. You know, some of the meanest Christians that you'll ever meet are those who know the Bible. These are the ones that eat from the tree of the knowledge, 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 knowledge of good. Knowledge of good. They gain knowledge of good. They read the Bible. They get a whole lot of knowledge of good, but sometimes they can become miserable. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They can quote every scripture under the sun, but you don't want to spend five minutes with them. They love truth. They just don't love grace. And truth without grace is nasty. They brought Jesus. They brought to Jesus the woman caught in the act of adultery. They had the truth. She should be stoned. She should be killed. Jesus, what do you say? They had truth, but they had no grace. It was ugly. But then truth met grace. Truth met grace. And Jesus said, you're right. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. They haven't condemned you. Neither do I go and sin no more. Truth and grace. So that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at the tree of life. The tree of life says this, receive what Jesus has already done. Look at this verse. It's so applicable, and hopefully it sheds a huge light on this first point I'm trying to make. Found in John chapter 5, verses 39, Jesus is speaking to the most knowledgeable people of the Bible in that time. They knew the word of God. He says this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Notice Jesus speaks about me and speaks about life. He only says study once. It's all about me, me, and it's all about having life. You see, you're not supposed to learn the scripture. Jesus is saying, he says, you're supposed to find me in the scripture. Truth and grace. Jesus always wants you to find him, and the Pharisees couldn't do that, you see. They loved it. It was all about a works-based religion. It was all about they had a good day. Oh, that's my, I'll tell you about this alarm just now. It goes off three times a day, on purpose, by the way. Six o'clock, 6 a.m., 12 midday, and 6 p.m. I'll tell you about that in a moment. So, moving right along. 
So you're not supposed to learn the scripture. You're supposed to find me, God says. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let's take a look at the second delineation. The second delineation says this. Try to get God's approval because he's mad at you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will say, you've got to try and get God's approval. He's mad at you. Some people view is that God is constantly mad at him and his favor needs to be earned. That's why Greg said to me, so what does your God have to say about this? What's your God's opinion on weed? Here again, we have to be so careful, folks, because your view of God will determine the sort of relationship you have with him. If you have this working hard to get God's approval, it's going to be tough going. I mean, look at Matthew 25 when we talk about the men with the talents. The man who had one talent was punished by God, but not only because he didn't sow it. The reason why he didn't sow it was clearly found in Matthew 25, 24. You're a hard man. This guy's view of God, that God was harsh, that he was a judge, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. Our view of God will determine how we walk with him. We've got to be careful which tree we draw out of. Because people don't see him correctly, they ultimately end up eating from the wrong tree with a completely wrong view of God. I can't tell you how many people I've witnessed to in my life that have a complete misconception about who Christians are, who God is, simply because of what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has done even within the church. The tree of life, however, says that we are to receive, already receive God's love for us. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while... While we were still sinners. It wasn't like Jesus hung on the cross and before they were going to put the nail in his hands, he said, hold up, let me first see if anybody's got a good chance of accepting me. Without any guarantees, he said, do it. So while we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. Look at the third delineation between these two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil focuses on the external. Always focuses on the external. Put on the right clothes, Act the right way. Rush up on your Christian needs. What do I mean? Well, memorize spiritual platitudes so when people question, when you're questioned by others who are very spiritual, you know exactly how to answer them. That's Christian ease. The tree of life, however, says focus on the internal. Isn't this a story of the Old and the New Testament? It's a fundamental difference. The Old Testament, they didn't have God inside of them. So it was all about outward constraints. They didn't have the Spirit of the Lord inside of them. So it was about rules and regulations. And their relationship with God was based upon that. But that came to an end at the cross. How quickly do we not slip into that old mindset of do, 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 where we evaluate how much God loves us by how obedient we are. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. You see, in the New Testament, it's all about God inside of us giving us a new heart that wants to obey. Essentially, the muzzle is off the dog. Why? Because the nature of wanting to bite has been taken out of the heart of the dog. You see, the tree of life turns the have-to into the want-to. Turns the have-to into the want-to. After all, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, look at what the Bible says. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. Where is your heart this evening? Have you found yourself slipping into that one rut and feeding off the wrong tree? Let's take a look at the final delineation. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this, that you've got to obey God out of duty. You owe it to God to obey him. Let me tell you, the flesh and the carnal nature just loves that. The carnal nature loves the law. Why? Because it can make it self-righteous. So do it because you have to. That's what this tree of the knowledge of good and evil says. Do it because you have to. And the moment you begin to serve God out of duty, let me tell you, you become mean, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. How many of you agree that there are many mean Christians out there? Many mean Christians. In actual fact, it was the mean Christians who ate from the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that ultimately drove my brother away. Why? Because they nitpick. It's all about what you do wrong and what you do right. I'll never forget, my brother was at a sporting event. Back then it was televised, it was a rugby event, and he was at Ellis Park. And just so happened that the first beer that he decided to drink, he was a Christian and he was hanging around the wrong crowd. Obviously the wrong crowd influenced you. And he was having a beer, and as he, drink, as he put the beer to his mouth, the TV cameras, S-A-B-C, put the camera smack bang on my brother. <laughs> Guess what everyone who knew my brother and knew me, was talking about in church that Sunday. Did you hear about that pastor's brother who was drinking himself into a coma? The fact that he only had one beer made no difference. But what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who serve God out of duty. Watch how others serve God out of duty. It's eating from the wrong tree. It's the tree of the knowledge. It's all about knowledge, completely devoid of the Spirit, not finding Jesus behind the command. Whereas the tree of life speaks about obeying God out of delight. 1 John 5 and verse 3 says, And this is love for God, to obey His commands. Look at this. And His commands are not burdensome. You see, when you eat out of the right tree, it's not I have to obey God, but I get to obey God. It's a very fine line, folks. His commands are not burdensome. Let me tell you, if there is any command that you are struggling to obey God with right now, any command whatsoever... I would guess that religion has perhaps just got a hold of you. Even pastors get this wrong. I've heard many pastors say, you know what? It's been tough. I surrendered to the ministry. It cost me everything, almost like it was a burden. And here I am thinking, you know what? I can't believe God picked me. Out of every you see, when I put my head down on the pillow at night, I know who I am. You know who you are. God picked us. His commands are not burdensome. Ministry is not burdensome. Sure, it gets tough, but it's certainly not a burden. You see, His commands can be what we get to do and not what we have to do. So how do we get there? That's a good question. How do we get to that point where we eat out of the, not, out of the tree of life as opposed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, first of all, we need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to fall in love with Jesus. Look what, it, look what the Bible says. Now, I know that sounds simple to say and not so simple to do, but I'm going to show you ways of how you can do this. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my command. I always got that wrong. My life was always on the wrong side of that comma. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Love drives obedience. I used to read it this way. The more I obey God, the more he'll think I love him. So which side of the comma are you on? That's my question. You see, it's about cause and effect. If you fall in love with Jesus, guess what? The byproduct of it will be obedience. Do you fall in love with Jesus? Look at this. I can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God rather than trying to obey everything. 
What does it mean to love someone? It simply means to give your attention to that person, to prefer that person, to be grateful to that person. That brings me to my alarm. You know why I call this a smartphone? Not for the same reason tech giants do. I call it a smartphone because it gives. Zappa. Smartphones give. The second reason is because it reminds me three times a day. I've got three alarms set on this phone. At 6 a.m. in the morning, at 12 a.m. and 6 p.m. And you know what the alarm goes off? It reminds me. It reminds me to tell Jesus you love him and you're grateful. Now you say to me, well, Pastor Andre, if a phone has to remind you that you love Jesus, listen, man. It doesn't mean because I have an appointment with Pastor Greg tomorrow that I don't need to set a reminder because I respect him. We forget things. And you know how many times the alarm has caught me busy doing something, my mind is distracted, the alarm goes off, I glance, and I just say, hey, let me just take a praise grade. Because you see what love is? Love is really just attention, isn't it? It's just giving someone attention. I'm trying to give you a practical way of reminding yourself and being thankful and falling in love with Jesus. And eventually it does become habit. It eventually does become habit. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. So how are we to do this? We're to fall in love with Jesus. Secondly, we are, we are to respond to sin with life. Our response to sin in our lives and in others' lives will reveal the kind of tree that we're in. We're going to sin and everyone's going to sin, but how you respond to sin will determine which tree you're feeding from. Look at John chapter 3, verse 17 in the message translation. It says this, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. Telling the world how bad it was, he came to help to put the world right again. How you deal with yourself when you sin and how you deal with others should be exactly the same. Afford yourself grace and afford them grace. Don't nitpick. How will you respond? Look at those Pharisees when they caught that woman. Look at those friends of my brothers that caught him in the act drinking a beer. Look what happened. They couldn't wait to showcase it. They couldn't wait to speak about it. They couldn't wait to share or skim it about it. You see, we are always to respond with grace first. And I'll tell you why. Because grace will invite you to truth so that truth can set you free. Grace invites you to truth so that truth can set you free. The truth is this, folks, that Jesus came to set me free, not to make me sorry. <laughs> I'll say it again. Jesus came to set me free, not to make me sorry. We think after we've stumbled and fallen, then we say, Father, thank you for your grace. But the truth is Jesus came to set us free so we don't even have to do that thing. Can someone say amen? And then finally, let us guard our hearts from going back. We do good to remember that right next to the tree of life, that we're holding onto is a vine, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sometimes, if you just get too close to that thing, you can stumble back into that tree. The difference is religion versus relationship. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. I'm going to read one more scripture, but before I do, it's interesting to note at the, that the latest Gallup poll, Gallup poll, and it surveyed everybody from all walks of life, all race groups, all socioeconomic 
or socioeconomic um, different categories, this was revealed that the only people group whose mental health has remained strong and stable and consistent during this time of the pandemic is people who, turn ch who attend church every week. Interesting. People who attend church every week. You need to guard your heart from going back. Why? 1 John 5 verse 12 tells us. Say this with me. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus has set us free. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to extend an invitation to folks here and in the other venues and also to you online. First of all, maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've looked at religion and you said, that's not what I want. But tonight you found out really the truth that is in relationship. And that's what it's about. I want to pray with you. That's first and foremost. Secondly, perhaps you are here tonight and you've stumbled into religion. It's become works-based for you. Christianity has become a duty. Your wife says to you, come, let's go to church. And your, your thinking is, oh, I've got so many better things to do. Do I have to do this? And eventually you concede and you come because you think if you don't come, God's going to be upset. Maybe your walk with the Lord has become duty. I want to pray with you tonight as well. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, nobody's looking around, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Andre, please pray for me. I want, to, I want to live in the tree of life. I don't want to live in the tree, drawing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want religion. I want relationship. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. One, two, three. Raise your hand in the air right now. Say, Pastor Andre, God bless you. See those hands. God bless you. And even those of you online, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let's pray this prayer together. God bless you. I see those hands at the back. I see those hands. Come, let's pray this prayer together. Everyone, say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Tonight, I choose you, Lord Jesus. I choose to repent, to turn away from my sin. I ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me. Thank you for dying for me, and thank you for living for me. I accept you into my heart, Lord Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life. I promise to love you, and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to go with that person that placed a hand on your shoulder to a place of prayer. But I want to share this verse with you found in John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, To as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. To as many as have received him, you receive Jesus tonight, your life will never, ever, ever be the same again. Come on, let's give him a warm Christian Family Church International. Congratulations and God bless you. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.